episode 68. May brings pollen so thick it makes your eyes squint. Open window season brings all the chats walking by. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxent General. I am your host, Jess, here to talk about all things Patuxentish. This week we chat about stuffed shells, savory martinis, and continue the reading of The Rats in the Walls by H.P. Lovecraft. But first, I must thank our Patreon subscribers. These speedy people are the accelerant, well-oiled pistons, fine-tuned engine, curvy chassis, and racing tires that is the Patuxent General, without whom we would be stock still. So thank you. If you would like to become one of these racy folks, check out our page on Patreon.com or simply follow the link in the show notes. But until then, let's stuff some shells. I have spoken of my Grammy S many times, but all of her siblings were brilliant and warm folks with a fantastic sense of humor. I was lucky enough to have exposure to them all in their own element. I have endless stories expressing their vibrant personalities, but today we celebrate my great Auntie Jay. She is the youngest of her siblings and a free spirit, smart as a whip and open-minded as well. She is the only person who took me very seriously about the house on the corner. She also suggested the bells in my bedroom door, which did keep the man at bay. Auntie Jay had my sister and I five days a week while I was in kindergarten. Monday through Friday afternoon, Dad would pick me up from school and my sister be from the sitter and bring us to Auntie's. The routine there was predictable and comfortable. We would come in, Bee and I would be tucked into the table while Auntie Jay started her supper for the family later on. After a few minutes, she would come out with a treat on a plate for each of us. Fresh Italian bread with butter and sugar on top. While we sat there, the smell of seared vegetables and sauce simmering on the stove would imprint love on my mind forevermore. That's right. Fresh bread with butter, sauce, and sautéed vegetables. All set. Just to set it over the edge, let's add stuffed shells. Auntie sauce is her secret for right now. Dad was taught by his mom, S. He says that recipe is based on Auntie J's, but I took his and added some elements of my own local sauce, like fatback. I'm not going to pretend that I know a recipe that I saw as a kindergartner, but I will maintain that those smells ring true to me until this day. Fresh bread, soft on the inside and crunchy on the outside, Fresh basil leaves growing in little house pots, as well as in the backyard, which was too close to the stadium, therefore too dangerous for little girls to run around pell-mell. And while things baked in the oven or in the crock pot, Auntie would teach us the alley cat until my uncle came home, smiley and hungry, and we would be ushered to the kids' table while they chatted about the day. My version of this sauce is in episode 65 in the recipe for the ultimate lasagna, but you could use any sauce that you like. I like to use sausage crumbled in this sauce or melted fat back. It makes this a main dish, and with a small antipasto like auntie, and you've got it. Let's check out this version of stuffed shells 
For this recipe, you will need one box jumbo shells, one quart marinara sauce, two tablespoons extra virgin olive oil, 15 ounces of ricotta, two teaspoons Italian seasoning, two cups shredded mozzarella, one and a quarter cups grated parmesan, 10 basil leaves julienned, salt and pepper to taste, and one egg. Preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Bring a large pot of water to a boil. Cook the shells according to the package directions. One minute less so they won't fall apart after baking. Drain and toss with olive oil and place on a sheet tray to cool. Spray a 13 by 9 inch baking dish with non-stick cooking spray. Spread one cup of the marinara sauce into the baking dish. In a large bowl, combine the ricotta, one and a half cups of mozzarella, one half cup of parmesan, and season with salt and pepper and the Italian seasoning. Fill each cooked shell with equal amounts of the ricotta mixture. Arrange the filled shells opening side up on a baking dish, top of the remaining marinara sauce and cheeses. Bake covered with parchment and with foil until bubbly, about 30 minutes. Uncover and continue cooking until cheese is melted about 5 minutes. Remove shells from the oven, top with fresh basil. Cool 5 minutes before serving, if you can restrain yourself from testing it and burning the roof of your mouth. So just wait the 5 minutes and enjoy. This week we have a quick savory martini. Liquid Journeys on YouTube has this martini, the Dirty Sicilian. And if you live outside of Rhode Island and can actually get Castra Elian, made from green olives, I say go crazy. He mashes feta cheese with black pepper and a few red pepper flakes, then individually stuffs Kalamata olives for the drink, not to mention a garlic-infused sherry. The long version of this recipe is in Eat Your Drink by Matthew Bianconelio. The short version goes like this. Throw one ounce sherry, one ounce Kalamata juice, three ounces of Castra Elian vodka into a shaker with a few large chunks of ice. Strain into a large glass and garnish with two stuffed olives in the bottom and cracked red pepper and fresh oregano on top. It's a very quick kind of dirty martini, just what you need for our last installment of The Rats in the Walls by H.P. Lovecraft. Looking for an opportunity to hang out with the Patuxent General crew? How about play some of those pinball machines you've been hearing about? Not to mention pizza strips to benefit the kitchen mission at the Edgewood Congregational Church. Well, check out our Gatsby Fringe Fun Fair. The fair is Saturday, May 27th from 9 until 2. There will be vendors with food and crafts, a build-a-clam workshop for the little ones, an electromagnetic pinball is going to blow your minds with all the games. Is that enough? No. There will also be a huge thrift shop yard sale. Jewelry, clothes, household goods and books. Something for everyone. The Gatsby Fringe Fun Fair takes place Saturday, May 27th at the Edgewood Congregational Church from 9 till 2 p.m. I'll be there all day serving up pizza strips from the Kitchen Mission. Bring your questions and I'll have answers. So meet us there. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand. 
grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball and pinball and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. The Rats in the Walls by H.P. Lovecraft All was now ready, and at 11 a.m., our entire group of seven men, bearing powerful electric searchlights and implements of excavation, went down to the sub-cellar and bolted the door behind us. The old cat was with us, for the investigators found no occasion to despise his excitability, and were indeed anxious that he might be present in case of obscure rodent manifestations. We noted the Roman inscriptions and unknown altar designs only briefly, for three of the savants had already seen them, and all knew their characteristics. Prime attention was paid to the momentous central altar, and within the hour, Sir William Brinton had caused it to tilt backwards, balanced by some unknown species of counterweight. There now lay revealed such a horror as would have overwhelmed us had we not been prepared. Through the nearly square opening in the tiled floor, sprawling on a flight of stone steps so prodigiously worn that it was little more than an inkind plain at the center, was a ghastly array of human or semi-human bones. Those which retained their collocation as skeletons showed attitudes of panicked fear, and all over were their marks of rodent gnawing. The skulls denoted nothing short of primitive semi-apedom. Above the hellishly littered steps arched a descending passage seemingly chiseled from the solid rock and conducting a current of air. This current was not a sudden and noxious rush, as from a closed vault, but a cool breeze with something of freshness in it. We did not pause long, but shiveringly began to clear a passage down the steps. It was then that Sir William, examining the hewn walls, made the odd observation that the passage, according to the direction of the strokes, must have been chiseled from beneath. I must be very deliberate now, and choose my words. After plowing down a few steps amidst the gnawed bones, we saw that there was light ahead, and not a mystic phosphorescence, but a filtered daylight which could not have come from the unknown fissures in the cliff that overlooked the waste valley. That such fissures had escaped notice from outside was hardly remarkable, for not only is the valley wholly uninhabited, but the cliff is so high and beetling that only an aeronaut could study its face in detail. A few steps more, and our breaths were literally snatched from us by what we saw. So literally that Thornton, the psychic investigator, actually fainted in the arms of the dazed man who stood behind him. 
Norris, his plump face utterly white and flabby, simply cried out inarticulately, whilst I think what I did was to gasp or hiss and cover my eyes. The man behind me, the only one of our party older than I, croaked the hackneyed, My God! in the most cracked voice I ever heard. Of seven cultivated men, only Sir William Brinton retained his composure, a thing more to his credit, because he led the party and must have seen the sight first. It was a twilight grotto of enormous height, stretching away further than the eye could see, a subterranean world of limitless mystery and horrible suggestion. There were buildings and other architectural remains, in one terrified glance, I saw a weird pattern of tumuli, a savage circle of monoliths, a low-domed Roman ruin, a sprawling Saxon pile, and an early English edifice of wood, but all these were dwarfed by the ghoulish spectacle presented by the general surface of the ground. For yards about the steps extended an insane tangle of human bones, or bones at least as human as those on the steps. Like a foamy sea they stretched, some fallen apart, but others wholly or partially articulated as skeletons, these latter invariably in postures of demonic frenzy, either fighting off some menace or clutching other forms with cannibal intent. When Dr. Trask, the anthropologist, stooped to classify the skulls, he found a degraded mixture which utterly baffled him. They were low in the scale of evolution, but in every case definitely human. Many were of higher grade, and a very few of the skulls were were supremely and sensitively developed types. All of the bones were gnawed mostly by rats, but somewhat by others of a half-human drove. Mixed with them were tiny bones of rats, fallen members of the lethal army, which closed the ancient epic. I wonder that any man among us lived and kept his sanity through this hideous day of discovery. Not Hoffman or Hoisman could conceive a scene more wildly incredible, more frenetically repellent, or more gothically grotesque than the twilight grotto through which we had seven staggered, each stumbling on revelation after revelation, and trying to keep the nonce from thinking the events had taken place there three hundred, or a thousand, or two thousand, or ten thousand years ago. It was the antechamber to hell, and poor Thornton fainted again when Trask told him that some of the skeleton things must must have descended as quadrupeds through the last twenty or more generations. Horror piled on horror as we began to interpret the architectural remains. The quadruped things, with their occasional recruits from the biped class, had been kept in stone pens, out of which they must have broken in their last delirium of hunger, of rat fear. There had been great herds of them, evidently fattened on the coarse vegetables whose remains could now be found in a sort of poisonous ensilage at the bottom of the huge stone bins older than Rome. I knew now why my ancestors had such excessive gardens. Would to heaven I could forget. The purpose of the herds I did not have to ask. Sir William, standing with his searchlight in the Roman ruin, translated aloud the most shocking ritual I have ever known, and told of the diet of the antediluvian cult, which the priests of Sibyl found and mingled with their own. Norris, used as he was to the trenches, could not walk straight when he came out of the English building. It was a butcher shop and kitchen. He had expected that, but it was too much to see familiar English implements in such a place, and to read familiar English graffiti there, some as recent as 1610. I could not go into that building, that building whose demon activities were stopped only by the dagger of my ancestor, Walter de la Poor. 
What I did enter to venture was the low Saxon building, whose oaken door had fallen, and there I found a terrible row of ten stone cells with rusty bars. Three had tenants, all skeletons of high grade, and on the bony forefinger of one, I found a seal ring with my own coat of arms. Sir William found a vault with far older cells below the Roman chapel, but these cells were empty. Below them was a low crypt with cases of formally arranged bones, some of them bearing terrible parallel inscriptions, carved in Latin, Greek, and the tongue of Phrygia. Meanwhile, Dr. Trask had opened one of the prehistoric tumuli and brought the light skulls, which were lightly more human than gorillas, and which bore indescribable ideographic carvings. Through all this horror, my cat stalked unperturbed. Once I saw him monstrously perched atop of mountain and bones, and wondered at the secrets that may lie behind his yellow eyes. Having grasped, to some slight degree, the frightful revelations of this twilight area, an area so hideously foreshadowed by my reoccurring dream, we turned to that apparently boundless depth of midnight cavern where no ray of light from the cliff could penetrate. We shall never know what sightless Stygian worlds yawn beyond the little distance we went, for it was decided that such secrets were not good for mankind. But there was plenty to engross us close at hand, for we had not gone far before the searchlight showed the accursed infinity of pits in which the rats had feasted and whose sudden lack of replenishment had driven the ravenous rodent army first to turn on the living herds of starving things, and then to burst forth from the priory in that historic orgy of devastation which the peasants will never forget. God, those carrion pits of sawed-picked bones and open skulls, those nightmare chasms choked with Celtic, Roman, and English bones of countless unhallowed centuries. Some of them were full, and none can say how deep they had been. Others were still bottomless to our searchlights and peopled by unnameable fancies. What I thought of the helpless rats that stumbled into such traps amidst the blackness of their quest and the grisly Tartarus. Once my foot slipped near a horribly yawning brink, and I had a moment of ecstatic fear. I must have been musing a long time, for I could not see any of the party but the plump Captain Norries. Then there came a sound from that inky, boundless, further distance that I thought I knew, and I saw my old black cat dart past me like a winged Egyptian god, straight into the imitable gulf of the unknown. But I was not far behind, for there was no doubt after another second. It was the eldritch scurrying of those fiend-born rats, always questing for new horrors, and determined to lead me on, even into the grinning caverns of the Earth's center, where Nyathra the mad, faceless god, howls blindly in the darkness to the piping of two amorphous, idiot flute players. My searchlight expired, but still I ran. I heard voices and yowls and echoes, but above all, there gently rose that impious, insidious scurrying, gently rising, rising as a stiff, bloated corpse gently rises above an oily river that flows under endless onyx bridges to a black, putrid sea. Something bumped into me, something soft and plump. Must have been the rats. The vicious, gelatinous, ravenous army that feast on the dead and the living. Why shouldn't rats eat a de la poor, as a de la poor eats forbidden things? The war ate my boy, damn them all, and the Yanks ate Carfax with flames, and burnt grandsire de la poor in the secret. No, no, I tell you, I am not that demon swine herd in that twilight grotto. It was not Edward Norrie's fat face on that flabby, fungus thing. 
Who says I am Adela Poor? He lived, but my boy died. Shall Anoris hold the lands of Adela Poor? It's voodoo, I tell you. That spotted snake. Curse you, Thornton. I'll teach you to faint at what my family do. Splud, thou stinkard. I'll learn you how to gust. Swole my stinkard. Magna Marta, Magna Marta, Ati Sagat. That is what they say, I said, when they found me in the blackness, after three hours. Found me crouching in the blackness over the plump, half-eaten body of Captain Norris, with my own cat leaping and tearing at my throat. Now they have blown up Exum Priory, taken my old black cat from me, and shut me in this barred room at Hanwell. With fearful whispers about my heredity and experiences. Thornton is in the next room, but they prevent me from talking to him. They are trying to suppress most of the facts about the Priory. And when I speak of poor Norris, they accuse me of a hideous thing. But they must know I did not do it. They must know it was the rats. The slithering scurrying rats, whose scampering will never let me sleep, demon rats that race behind the padding in this room, and beckon me down to greater horrors than I have ever known. The rats they can never hear. The rats. The rats in the walls. Once again, for joining us today at the Patuxent General. If you would like to be a vendor at Gatsby Fun Fair or have a ghost story you would like to share, our email is jess at patuxentgeneral.com. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxent General. A Something for Posterity production, pre-recorded in Patuxent.